And I was coming back home and I heard one other boat and I took a look back and he was a few miles away. And I kept kayaking. And then I looked back, I heard him again and he's on my track and he's getting closer. And so I steered out of the way a little bit and now he's getting really close to me. And I grabbed my handle, this big eight foot paddle and I start waving it, yelling, hey, hey. And he doesn't move. He's on the same path. And I know I'm about to get hit. And part of me thinks it's a practical joke, but but I know I'm going to get hit. And I think to myself, if I, if I stay right here, this boat's going to hit me in the head and chest and I'm going to, I'm going to die. And so I decide to, to roll out and I said, I'll go under the boat. And I do. I roll and I push off. Unfortunately, it's like pushing on air. And I, and I go under and I make one big breaststroke pull. And I appreciate the Doppler effect because I can hear the engine getting louder as it gets closer. And then I get hit by the boat. And getting hit by a boat is like being tackled in football. A linebacker hits you and it, it knocks the wind out of you. But then I got hit by the propellers. That was Trent Theroux, and you are listening to episode 126 of the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. Welcome back, you guys. I'm Jess, your host, and we are Yogi Triathlete. We are triathlon and run training, mindfulness and meditation, plant-based nutrition, and we are on a mission to create a better world. We're doing that by assisting people, those who are ready, because you got to be ready, people. Those who are ready to raise their vibe and create their lives from a 10,000-foot view, we are teaching and guiding our athletes and clients to live from a place of presence because this is the only place we are at full capacity, meaning presence is the only place that you have full access to your best athletic performances, best parenting, friending, spousing. It's the place where all limits are lifted, if you are willing to train your mind, of course. Somewhere along the lines, our minds became the master's. And we at Yogi Triathlete, we are all about throwing down the topsy-turvy on that equation. It's happening. I've seen it in my own life. We are seeing it in our athletes, our meditation and nutrition clients, and for sure in the M21 revolution. Team YT is growing, and we have some spots available for triathlon and run coaching. So shoot us a message, and let's get started. Don't delay. I'm psyched to welcome Elisa to the team. Coach Beach will be assisting her in crushing Ironman 70.3 Coeur d'Alene in 2019. We know she's fired up to be getting some yoga on her training plan, and we're fired up to be her coaches after many years away from the sport. Elisa is so ready, and she's the perfect fit for Team YT. So many people are feeling the pull to wake up, and I believe it's incredibly important to follow that calling. You know, if there's one thing for certain, life will bring you to your knees typically more than once. It's not bad luck. It's not that you can't get a break. It's because life will deliver the exact opportunity that you need to live your highest and best. And it's the how behind living through life's intensities that separates the untrained minds from the masters. For some of us, the motivation to change is quick. And for some, it's a slow burn of pain. For our guest today, it was an instantaneous and uninvited life change that left Trent paralyzed in a hospital bed. The unknown of his future ability to walk was his reality. So instead of sitting there and feeling bad for himself, he made a list. He made a list of all the things he would do in his life, everything from walking to completing an unprecedented swim event. 
In this episode, Trent and I dive into his story from the dark night on the water, when his entire life changed, to the outrageous and kind of comedic circumstances that he has faced during his not one, but three epic swim events. Trent is a vice president of finance, graduate school professor, author, endurance athlete, father, and activist for the spinal cord injury community. He was recognized in Sports Illustrated for his record 41-mile swim, circumnavigating Aquidneck Island, and I might have had a little something to do with that event. We dive into it, and I think you guys are going to love this convo. Thank you so much for tuning in for my chat with a man who is only concerned with the coming attractions of his life and someone who leaves us with absolutely no valid excuses not to follow our dreams, Trent Theroux. So we're sitting here, and I'm looking out at gorgeous Narragansett Bay, and it's just like you could skip a penny all the way over to Cranston. You can. It's um, beautiful today. About 10 minutes ago, when the sun rises, you get fire on the windows across Ugh. from you. So they look like they're on fire as it glows, the sun glows off in the morning. So it's a really breathtaking, nice way to go out and have breakfast. Oh, it's so gorgeous. Is that what you did? You had breakfast did, outside yes. today? Yeah, this is a gorgeous spot, you guys. And thank you so much. We have been in touch couple weeks ago, um, actually maybe about a month ago, right before your Back to Britain event, and we're going to get into that whole story. And then yesterday I text you and you're like, come on over, 7 a.m. So here we are. So I just want to thank you for being on the fly with me. And that's just how we roll. It's a, it's this trust that timing is divine and, you know, the connections will be made, that the ones that are supposed to be made. So I'm psyched sure. to be here. Sure. And you are just coming off a good failure. Well, you know, <laughs> let's I was, just uh, jump right in. I was recently introduced um, by uh, by somebody that said uh, Trent Theroux has uh, just swam the English Channel, and I and I said sentences uh, words matter quite a bit because she didn't say crossed, and there's a big difference. And I didn't cross that day; it wasn't my day. We made eleven miles of swimming backstroke, and I had prepared for the English Channel for nearly two years, both mentally and physically. Um, and financially, I had um, I'd spent hours in the gym. I had to uh, get acclimated to very cold water. So I would get in the water here when it was less than 40 degrees. Oh. I'm still thawing a little bit from <sighs> the – I had to gain 20 pounds of just um, – of insulation, brown fat insulation. I, um, I thought I had everything prepared for all the miles I trained for. And I did. I prepared for everything except for motion sickness. Mm. It was um, it was about fifty degree fifty uh, mile an hour winds the day before we left, and we had talked to the boat pilot, and I said that I would like to go the next day on Saturday. My team was all flying out on on the Sunday, and he goes, "No, you need to wait a week." And I said, oh, "I don't have a week." We need to go. Otherwise, I can't afford to keep my whole crew here for another week, redo the flights, new house. So we said. So you were planning on swimming across the English Channel on Saturday and your crew was flying out on Sunday. That's correct. So the window was like it was, cracked. We had already been there since Tuesday. So we couldn't go because the storms were Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And, and the storms were real because you went live on Facebook and you couldn't even like hear you because the wind was just. Howling. Yeah. Howling. And it created two plus meter swells inside the, the channel. So when we went, the swells were a little bit lower, 
he had said, if you want to go, we'll take you out. And once you have my suit on and I'm all lubed up, it's it's go time. No wetsuit. No wetsuit? No wetsuit. Not allowed. And what's the water temp? It was about 62 or 63 when I got in. He had so told us. you were us, trained for that. I was trained. He told us that uh, it would be close to 70 on the French side. So I thought that, ooh, we're going to get you know a bowl bath by the time we get over there. But we needed to get that far first. And it's how long? It's it's 21 miles as the crow flies, but the currents, you have to navigate the current. So it's about 30 Whoa. in the water. Wow. And we went. One of the things that I do to keep myself mentally sharp is I try to sing different musical artists. And I'm embarrassed to admit that I love disco. <laughs> I love disco. And at a swimming <laughs> event that I did a couple of years ago, we'll talk about, I said to myself, I'm going to sing a lot of disco. And so I started singing from the Saturday Night Fever album. Oh, well, that's and a killer why not? album, dude. And, and I'm swimming backstroke the whole way. And you can tell by the way I use my stroke. <laughs> and, and I'm going. And what I found, though, was as you get tired, the needle starts to skip a little. And then after a while, even I started to hate Barry Gibb. And so the plan we made for this trip was that every feeding, so every 30 minutes, my daughter Haley would yell to me a new artist so I could sing somebody new. And we had prepared some of this list ahead of time. And and just to keep in the spirit, they were all English artists. So when I got ready to jump off the boat for the first time, I said, babe, who are we, uh, who are we listening to? And she said, the Beatles. I go, no problem. And so I get in the water and I start and, and I'm through Abbey Road, put my head up the next, what are we doing? Genesis, back in, let's go. Pick it up, the Rolling Stones. Okay, going. And then I stopped because I burped a little bit and it wasn't right. And it wasn't long after that I lost everything uh, in my stomach. And so I'm, I'm feeling a little woozy, but I said, all right, time to keep going. All right, Hales, give me another one. And she yells, wham. I go, are you kidding me? Of all the good music in England, you're going to give me wham. And I'm thinking, how am I going to care about that careless whisper? Of a, and I'm swinging along, good friend, right to the heart and mind. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I w- I was getting sick regularly. I was getting sick. Re- that was at the one hour mark. At uh, at two and a half hours, they tried to give me some tea, and it just touched my lips and came back up. At the three and a half hour mark, I took in try to take water. They go, you want a Dramamine? I might be a little late for that now. I'm happy to take water. I tried to take water, and uh, I couldn't. And so I, I went to the captain, and I said, I could probably swim two more hours, but if I can't take any food in, it's like I've already run a marathon right. with no nutrition. Right, and our, our listeners know all about that. I mean, we have a the majority of folks that listen to this are Ironman athletes, endurance athletes, ultra runners, you mm-hmm. know, um, distance swimmers. And you know that when the, the stomach just goes. goes in the opposite direction and you're not getting – it's like it, there's one thing. There's the getting the nutrition in and keeping it in. But how do you even know at that point if the, if the nutrients are being absorbed, mm-hmm. right? Because the body is in such distress. Sure. The stomach is inside, and you need that. You need that parasympathetic nervous system that governs the digestion to absorb the nutrients, and the stomach is in a total state of stress. I was, um, I, I still was mentally strong. The stroke count was high, 
I was moving. Um, we had gone 11 miles without breaking except to throw up. And, oh, and But I made the call. Having been in different races for distant distances, right. I said, you know, another hour or two and then what? I could really be in trouble. So I, I made the decision. And the hardest decision was in the back of the boat. And I'm staring at the landing dock on the boat for about five minutes because I know that once I touch the boat, it's over. And until I touch it, the swim is still, the dream is still alive. The hope is still alive. I have a lot of people watching me on online. They're watching streaming of where the boat is, and I know it. And I have the, the hopes of a spinal cord community behind me watching. And it was very difficult to actually touch the boat. And um, I did. I got back in the boat, and I was finishing the, the sickness process still. And I was thinking about it as a failure and, and disappointment for my crew because they had come. They were good, and, and they had all gotten sick on the boat as well because the swells were nasty. Yeah, how big was the— The boat was 26 feet, but I could tell— when one of my crew members got sick because they would be on my side of the boat and then I wouldn't see him anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, 26, 26 foot boat and how big how big were the swells? About a full meter. Oof. And what made it challenging, and I swam in heavier uh, surf or conditions than that, was that the waves didn't come in one direction. They came in every direction as they bounced off the sides of the channel or bounced off the big tankers. And so I felt like I was in a, a washing machine. It was the agitating cycle. And that's what it mostly felt like. And I sat there and I was coming back and I'm staring at the gorgeous cliffs of, of Dover. And I said <clears throat> that, you know, the events of the past, they shape who we are, but they, but they do not determine our future. I mean, the, the die is never cast. And I've always considered myself to be a slave of hope. And hope lives just for tomorrow. And so I said, okay, so today wasn't there, but I am ready for tomorrow. And it was hard on the boat to say, I'm going to jump back in tomorrow and try it because I had an airplane ride. But, but I think mentally I will go back and take that, take that shot again, you know, conquer that goal. I have a feeling that you're absolutely going to do that because that's, I mean, that, and that's resiliency, right? It's, you went up against the conditions of nature you were mentally there, but then sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sure. That resiliency is that ability to go with it, mm -hmm. stay flexible, form a new direction to go in and go there. Sure. And be at peace with it. So you're floating in the water. You're looking at the, at the boat. You know as soon as you touch it, it's done. So now it's done. You're in the boat. Once the motion sickness, your body recovers clearly, and do you have thoughts of regret, and how do you, how do you navigate those? Well, I, I, I'm always a person that tries to push those thoughts aside because life is never about the past. Life is always about what's coming in the future. It's the hopes and dreams we have that carry us, not the, not the uh, uh, events of the past. You can live in the glory days. You can revel in them. But what we really always live for is to strive to do something new and better. What happens, do you think, when people live in the past? I see and I know people that can't get out of there. And it's not just failures. 
it's sometimes they live too long in, with their successes in the past. Yes. Oh, I've and seen that's, that. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and what happens, I believe, is that it stymies growth. It stymies who you are because, because if, you can't, if you can't move past 1988 or 1997 for whatever reason, whether it's a personal tragedy or a loss or this greatest success of all time that you've never been able to build on, successes come in small increments. They don't have to come in grand gestures. And, and successes come from different things. Uh, one of the new items on my list is I want to play passable piano. And passable piano to me so far is being able to play the opening bars to Lionel Richie's Easy. Okay, it's a small success. You're my kind of music man. I'm just telling you. I love Lionel Richie. It's uh, it's a small success that... Uh, um, well, it's a st- you've taken a step. Yes. Right? And then there's another step that you can take. And I'm getting this visual when we talk about getting stuck in the past. And I've seen this so much with athletes working with their minds and even prior to that working with their physical bodies as a massage therapist. I would have... Um, you know, a lot of people, God, I don't know what happened to me when I was in high school. I was MVP. The, and I'm like, dude, you're 40. That's right. You have three kids. You commute an hour and a half every day. You're sitting. You're not working out anymore. Like the MVP thing is so far in the past, but they're so stuck in that comparison with themselves sure. that they're never able to move forward. And so I'm getting this visual of, uh, and you're a swimmer, so you'll... You'll know, and I don't know what it's actually called, but I've seen it in the pool before, where you're actually, you're tethered to the side and you're swimming against yes, resistance. It is. Yes, and I feel like that's the visual I'm getting is that when people are really tethered to the past, and again, it could be the greatest joy in their life, it could be the greatest tra- tragedy in their life, but they're never ever getting to the other side of the pool, and sure. they're never able to get that flip turn to return and get that other flip turn and return. Mm-hmm and get that mileage to keep them moving forward. Sure. And so what you do is what I teach a lot in in mindfulness and meditation work is when you were saying those thoughts of negativity or regret or whatever we're going to call them, it's not that you're immune it's not that you're immune to them. They show up, right? Sure. But you you don't indulge them. Now, do you do you teach your people the Bee Gees? <laughs> You know, expressing their mind and bodies through Bee Gees music, <laughs> through movement, through, through could be could be through, through lateral night. movement yeah, through and not night. unilateral movement. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> that might be the next step. All right. Well, well you know, I love music and I love any kind of artistic expression because I know that creativity can only happen in the present moment. So when you're at that piano and you're I'm, channeling I'm, I'm Lionel, channeling Lionel or Elton, you gotta be you gotta be Elton, of course. All right. You got to be in that present moment because that's where that's where you're at full capacity. We know that that's where you're at full capacity is when we're 100% present, mm-hmm. and we can never be at full capacity if we're stuck in the past. Sure, sure. But the past, I believe, is, and, and this is where the mind comes in as a beautiful tool because that's all it is. It's just a tool. Mm-hmm. But we have these memories, and we have these memories of things that we've overcome in our life. And it's one of those things that when we find ourselves in the face of adversity, we say, God, I got through that. I can get through this. Sure. Right? If I got through that, I can get through this swim with the English Channel. Okay, I didn't physically make the swim in the English Channel, but I can get through the abandonment Mm. of having to touch the boat and come out. 
Mm -hmm. right? So we get to pull upon the past. And so let's talk about that. Let's talk about that moment in your life. And I'm going to maybe be presumptuous when I say this, that your life changed forever. It sure did. And I'm looking out your slider at the water where you literally met your maker. I I did. It was um, 15 years ago I was paralyzed in an accident. And I lost all feeling from my waist down. I couldn't walk. And I was devastated when I woke up in the hospital because I was unsure how I was going to live the rest of my life. The funny thing about a spinal cord injury is this. In one second, your life changes. And everything you knew is over. And it takes more than you know to relearn again. I was uh, coming home from work on a Monday night, September 23rd, and I'd gotten home at about 8.30, and I had a long, frustrating day at the office, and I didn't get to work out in the morning. Um, I used to play basketball back then, and I wanted to go kayak, and we live right um, behind us as a cove, so I'd put the kayak in, and it was a gorgeous full moon night, and I went out kayaking, and the only boat I saw is a glass... It was glass like this we're seeing now. And the only boat I saw... <laughs> as a kayaker yeah, as goes a kayaker. by. <laughs> it's literally... Hopefully it's not going to happen again, right. but there's a kayaker going by right now. <laughs> um, and I saw the Newport uh, to Providence Ferry go by. And I was coming back home and I heard one other boat and I took a look back and he was a few miles away. And I kept kayaking. And then I looked back, I heard him again and he's on my track and he's getting closer. And... So I steered out of the way a little bit, and now he's getting really close to me. And I grabbed my handle, this big eight-foot paddle, and I start waving it, yelling, hey, hey! And he doesn't move. He's on the same path. And I know I'm about to get hit. And part of me thinks it's a practical joke, but, but I know I'm going to get hit. And I think to myself, if I, if I stay right here, this boat's going to hit me in the head and chest and I'm going to, I'm going to die. And so I decide to, to roll out and I said, I'll go under the boat. And I do. I roll and I push off. Unfortunately, it's like pushing on air. And I, and I go under and I make one big breaststroke pull. And I appreciate the Doppler effect because I can hear the engine getting louder as it gets closer. And then I get hit by the boat. And getting hit by a boat is like being tackled in football. A linebacker hits you, and it, it knocks the wind out of you. But then I got hit by the propellers. And they hit me four times in the back from right below my tailbone uh, up through the uh, upper part of my left side of my back. And that's like getting hit by a two-by-four. Somebody behind you swinging a two-by-four four times to hit you. The, the force of it knocked me deeper into the water. And I had no breath, and I, I couldn't tell which way was up because it was dark. And I tried to blow a little bit of a bubble out, but I couldn't see. And I went to go swim, and I couldn't use my legs. I couldn't use my left arm. And I had my right arm to try to pull. And ultimately, I pull and make my way to the surface, and I see the boat motoring away, still going. 
and I know I'm in some serious trouble. I am serious trouble. I'm not sure what type of damage has happened to me. I take my one arm and I reach around my back and I feel what I think is an exposed rib. And I sink under the water because I've got nothing else holding me up and I have to use the arm to pull back up. And while I'm really nervous about the, the rib, what I'm most concerned about is I don't know how much I'm bleeding. If I'm bleeding out, how fast. And so the boat's going and I look to the west, uh, the east, and I see my hometown and these big houses and big lots. That's about 400 yards away, 300 yards away maybe. And, and as a, I was a swimmer in college, which would have been nothing back in the day, but I'm not sure how well I can do with one hand, one arm. And that's all you've got. And that's all I've got. Legs are no good. The legs are no Left good. Left arm's no, no good. good. You one got arm. one arm. And I said to myself, I could make it there. What if I make it there? How do I get to the house? I suppose I can crawl. And then I think, but what if they're not home? And I'm, and right as I'm doing this calculation, the boat stops a ways away from me, but they stop. They park. And I'm looking at the boat. And I'm not sure what to do. And after a minute, the boat turns back down the bay. Except that rather than turning to the southeast towards me, they turn to the southwest. And they're trolling. They're looking to see what they hit. And so now I have a decision. I have to, do I swim a couple hundred yards to the shore or do I swim deeper into the bay and hopefully find them? And I say, I, I, I'm, I'm probably going to be better off with somebody that actually is looking for me. And so I make my way and I start pulling myself one-armed towards them. And I try to yell once or twice, but it sends electricity through me. It, it's painful to use my voice. And I'm numb. I am lucid. I am entirely aware of my surroundings to the, to the, to the perfect taste of the water. I, I am aware. And, I'm, and I make my way closer to the boat, and they go by me. They don't see me. They keep going south past me. And so now I'm deeper in the bay. And I've really got a hard decision because I, I don't think I'm going to make it to the shore. And so I think my best chance is just to swim, try to follow the boat. And I do that. And after another two minutes or so, they stop and they turn back up. And they, and they see me. And they pull me in the boat and instantly recognize what's happened and uh, call 911. And, and I wake up the next day in the, in the hospital. Who is in the boat? Um, there are four gentlemen that were out, older gentlemen, that were out having a good time and water skiing and the like. And they knew they hit something. They knew they, they thought they hit lobster traps, a floating lobster trap. That's what they said. So when they saw you in the condition that you were in, the, the their lives thing, changed forever. The first thing they did was yell at me. They, they didn't know what, they yelled at me. And then they pulled me, I couldn't get up. All I had was one arm. So they pulled me and I collapse on the table and I'm wearing a white t-shirt 
which is now stained in blood. And the boat got very quiet. And they immediately called 911 and turned the boat up into the marina to take me to the rescue. You know, it's funny. I spent a lot of years being really angry at them for what they did to me. Venomous anger, mm. passionate anger, and, and wanting Charles Bronson Rettenhound death wish retribution. And I found that that type of anger serves nobody, no good purpose. And it took me a lot of years to let it go about what they did and what, how they mutilated me. The, the propellers severed all the major muscles in the left side of my back and carved out five pieces of my spine. It took a lot of years through my recovery, physically, mentally, to forgive them. I was just as much at fault. I was kayaking at night. They were just as much at fault. They weren't looking. But I had to... It was the, it was a perfect... It was perfect circumstances for a tragedy. It was. We, we both put ourselves in bad places. And forgiveness is not about the past. Well, that's why. The events of our past do not... They only shape who we are, but they don't dictate our future. Forgiveness is, is all about the future. Yeah. It's, it, it's, the, it's the fine line. It's the, it's the absolute razor's edge of moving forward. Sure. We're moving backwards. Sure. Because there's no stasis in this life. I don't believe there's any stasis. We're either living or we're dying. We're progressing or we're regressing. And, you know, as an athlete, as, as both of us as athletes, you know, we hear from athletes that come to us that I'm just, I've plateaued. I'm not making any progress. And one of the first things we talk about is you're not plateaued. You're moving backwards. There is no plateau. Mm -hmm. And so if you weren't able to let that go, you would be a very, very different person. I would right be now. a very different person. I would be. You're correct. It, 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 and that's hard to do. Oh, Forgiveness is so, so hard. Hard yeah. to do, right? Because we've got this thing that we are subject to as humans, and it's called the ego. And the ego is that force that wants to keep us in dissatisfaction. It's that finger pointing. And we see a lot of finger pointing in this society. And I, I, I call it like the small self. And the small self is the finger pointer. Mm -hmm. You did this to me. You did this to me. Without a, a higher vision of, you know, this happened for me. Right. Right? Not why me, but why not me? And that ego is, its existence in your life is dependent on you being either the victim or the victimizer, the one who something happened to, or the one who's done something to, the winner or the loser, right? It's the separation. Sure. I'm a, a very um, in tune when I listen to folks talk about a bad situation they had that day, and they will mimic a person's voice. So I had to tell him. And it's, and it's funny. In everybody's minds, they were right. They will turn the story so that they're right and they were able to tell the other person how they were wrong. And that was very challenging for me to go the other direction um, with that. It was very 
it took a lot of years and a lot of soul searching and tears to get to that point. Mm-hmm. But I firmly believe now that some of the best events that happened to me, some of the best friends that I've made, some of the best accomplishments, no, the best accomplishments have happened all because I was paralyzed in a in a hospital bed. I know. Yeah. It's wild, right? Should should we should we tell your listeners that I walk? Yeah. <laughs> I was telling my family last night, we went out to dinner, and my dad's 80, 83, and mm. we're on the way home. He's like, so is he in a wheelchair now? I said, Dad, no, I told you at dinner over the salad, he's fine. Well, yeah, fine's relative, <laughs> but I do walk, so I'll have you listeners know that the that yes. the blades cut out five pieces of my spine, as I said, but never cut into the cord. But the paralysis That's- came- Divine well, I, perfection. I imagine that, right? Can you? It the, was like we're gonna take this guy to the edge, absolute edge. But we're not gonna take him over because he's got work to do in this world. It, that's an interesting way of putting it. I, I never considered work to do. The the accident caused um, the, so much trauma in my spinal column that the muscles seized to protect the cord, which is what caused the paralysis. So brilliant. And it took a week to get that sensation where the doctor was able to touch the toe and I felt it. So what what was the moment, because I'm going to assume you remember this, when the doctor touched the toe and you couldn't feel it? In the hospital, they give you morphine that you have in a plunger. And, and if you could see me, radio audience, you would know I'm hitting the plunger. He's got a really strong thumb. I got a strong thumb. I'm using my plunger right now. Like, <laughs> that's the plunger. And, and the and what I've learned about the plunger is that the morphine is not for pain. It's for anxiety. They've got they, – you've got enough pain medication or I had enough pain in me. But it's for anxiety. So when the doctor comes in and rubs the toe, I mean I already knew I couldn't move. It didn't take the doctor to come in to know I couldn't feel anything. But when he comes in and couldn't feel it, it's just, you know, Trent, we're not sure whether you're going to walk again. I was – working the plunger pretty hard um, when that happens. Or when your mother-in-law comes in the room. <laughs> and on wants any to, given day. And wants to know how you're going to support her daughter now. I, I was working the plunger pretty darn good then too. She just got down to brass tacks. <laughs> she got real quick to She's it. She's like, listen, listen, I know you listen, got cut listen, up by a propeller. I, <laughs> I know you can't walk, so let's just talk about. Let's talk about the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was the day after that, so the second day in the hospital, and I started, and I came to the grips that I may be paralyzed. I did one of the greatest things I ever did in my life, and I created what I uh, what called then the list, a list of things I was going to do in my life. Now some people call these bucket lists, right? Things you're going to do, and I don't like that because a bucket list implies you're going to kick the bucket and die. And these are things I wanted to do because I was going to live. Right. You couldn't afford to be thinking about That's dying. Right. So so I call them coming attractions, like my movie previews. And so number one coming attraction was walk. I thought that was a good start. Yeah, that was a good start. Climb a flight of stairs, lift my children, go to work again, have sex with my wife, uh, go see the Red Sox. And the then basics. I, then I got exotic. I said, I want to run a marathon, I want to climb a skyscraper, 
I want to do the Ironman and I want to do a swim. And I wasn't really sure. I wrote the channel, but I wasn't sure. But I want to do an unprecedented swim. And I have that list. And I've lived by that list. And I was able to accomplish the first nine on that list rather in the four years after I got out of the hospital. Though some took longer than others, like number five, being with my wife. That was a little longer than I was hoping, you know, in the progression of things. (laughs) When's number five going to come? Well, because everybody wants to know about number five, Trent. And I'm telling you, it is well publicized that you are a passionate lover. (laughs) (laughs) According to well-placed sources, it's, it's, um, I'll take one minute. So it, it had been several months after the accident and I was a Saturday night and I was feeling a little itchy. And uh, so with a couple of margaritas, I thought I would help the situation. I'd cover both number two, climb a flight of stairs, and number five at the same time. And so I said, hey, honey, what do you say we – that's how exactly how I talked. Let's scratch off number two and number five. And she said, uh, no. I said, no? What do you mean, no? I got it. And she says, um, I'm afraid I'm going to break you. And I'm thinking – I'm glad one of us thinks of the Bronco in this relationship. <laughs> and so I said, come on, serious. She goes, no, no, I'm serious. I said, you, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt you. Well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, you need, you know, permission from your doctor. I said, what? And she goes, yes. I said, but I don't have an appointment for three weeks. She goes, okay, well, we'll wait. Wait. Well, I mean, I was married with two kids at that time. I was used to waiting, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, um... And so three weeks later, I, I went to the doctor and I had to go get checked. They were checking the scarring and it was there to break up scar tissue in the back. That was primarily what we were there for, to break up scar tissue so I could get a little more mobility and flexibility. because that scar tissue is going to oh, it was nasty. tie you down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ooh. And at the end of it, he said, do you have any questions? I said, yes, doctor, I have a question about sex. And he said, well, Trent, when a man and a woman... And I go, listen, <laughs> I got that part. I got two kids already. I said, no, I, my wife says I need permission. And so he um, went to his desk. He grabbed his prescription pad. Dear Mrs. Theroux, Trent is cleared for all, underlined three times, activities. <laughs> Sign the doctor. Well, I came home, Jess. I came home like I had a Powerball ticket. I'm waving it. I'm waving it. And I said, send the kids to your mothers. We are going upstairs for number five. And she said, well, I just put a roast in the oven. Well, maybe. So I had to wait You're a little like, longer. You're like, I'm going to put a roast in the oven, lady. <laughs> I had to wait a little longer. So that was my uh, how I overcame that hurdle. <laughs> That's so awesome. I love it. All right, so five's down, yeah. stairs are down, you're walking, you're going to work. The last, we came to the last one, right? We've we've done the, the marathon, we've done the skyscraper, we did the Ironman, and we get to this swim, and I realized that I have done these first nine items kind of just for me. They were all about proving that I was not um, handicapped. I was capable of doing these items. But I really, I really had such good fortune, this, this, um, this divinity to just to save my walking. And so 
I decided I want to do a swim for somebody else. And I, I found this opportunity to swim from to Block Island, which in Rhode Island is a, is a town of Rhode Island, about 12 miles uh, off the uh, south uh, west coast. And I could swim there and up and done. And I decided to do it, but I wanted to do it for the folks. And I found this group in Boston called Rise Above Paralysis. Anybody that's been in a, had a spinal injury in the Boston, Rhode Island, Boston, Southern New Hampshire area has gone to spinal, uh, Spalding. And this group, Rise Above Paralysis, is a peer mentoring group, meaning there are people there in wheelchairs. So if you have a C4 break, there's going to be somebody coming in that has a C4 break a couple of years ago to help teach you what it's going to be like to move, to dress, to brush your teeth, to interact with your family, to try to look for a job. And they spend time with you as a sponsor, we'll call it, an AA sponsor type thing. And the expectation is that after a couple of years, you will pay it forward and you will come and help the next generation. And so the money that I wanted to raise was going to be for durable medical goods. And here's the reason. When I got home from the hospital, I needed a special bed. I couldn't walk the stairs yet. And I needed a bed. So we rented one and we cleared out our dining room furniture, which is right next to the front door. And so I could put the bed there, but I had to rent it. And it was $1,300. And I was thinking, I said, my gosh, it's not covered by insurance. It was a huge expense that, that I had to come up with. And after these years went by, I thought about that expense. I said, you know, there are people that have the same accident, that their life changed in a second and different than, and I'm not trying to, to denigrate something like a cancer, but where cancer you have months to get acclimated to and testing and a spinal cord, it's tomorrow that you have to deal with everything. And so these people that may have been machinists or school teachers or children that have to go get this equipment. And I decided I wanted to create a foundation to raise funds for them. And I would use this swim there to Block Island. And I decided that I was going to do the swim entirely backstroke as a sign of solidarity to for my spinal cord injured community. You're insane. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have to say that in my own experience, I understand what it feels like to get a knowing that you're going to do something, but then there's this thing that goes with it that's really big, mm -hmm. and you don't quite know what it is at first. And for me, it was, in an instant, I knew we were going to move out west, right? but I knew that it wasn't going to be buy a ticket and fly from point A to point B. I knew there was going to be something huge in the middle. Mm. And so I, I understand that feeling and you just, you just wait and you contemplate and you allow the information to come in. And, and isn't it such an exciting way to create something so big in your life when you allow the space for the larger purpose to come in? It's ex so exciting. To do this for, for other folks was the most thrilling. When I met the executive director of RISE, he's a, a gentleman who was a, a police officer, former, who was on his motorcycle and was hit and paralyzed. And when I told him what I was going to do, he said, 
you're fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> you're going to do what? And I said, I'm going to swim, backstroke here, and I'm going to raise $50,000 for your organization. And he said, you know, he knew there were, there were a lot of people that said they're going to do things before, um, which is why he probably didn't put a whole lot of stock to get started. But for you, was it beyond doubt that it was going to happen? It was, it was beyond doubt that I'd be able to do the swim. It was beyond doubt that I was going to work hard to raise the money. I didn't know how easy the swim would be compared to how hard it is to raise money. That's the, oh. the hardest thing is to look somebody and say, will you, will you give me money for something that doesn't affect you, but, but hopefully my story and the reason I'm doing it motivates you to want to support me? That's, it's pretty easy to say now, but – but it's hard to look at somebody and yeah. yeah, and you have to get that message out to so many people Thousands because of people. it's got to be the connection. It's got to be right for them. That's right. You know, like whoa, this is, and you've heard it so many times. Like this really speaks to me. Hmm. I need to be a part of it. And there are so many good causes. There's you know, so part, many good causes. I mean, I, why why wouldn't you want to help people with muscular dystrophy, or why wouldn't you want to help people with leukemia? Gosh, they've all caught horrible breaks. Um, but I think. In this fundraising um, milieu, that that you touch your 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 uh, warm market first, the people you know first, yeah. and they know. And the people I started with knew what I went through, and so on the ten year anniversary of my accident, we were going to do the swim. <laughs> and how'd that go? Well, well, what was the prep like? Because it's no, it's not like. <laughs> it's no joke to swim from Point Judith to Black Island. It's it's it is. You can end up in Montauk real easy, real quick. It is. Uh, first off, it's straight into the Atlantic, so it's not swimming along a beach. You're swimming from the ocean into the middle of the Atlantic, and I knew the waves. Excuse me, the currents there were going to be extreme, and so I contacted somebody from the University of Rhode Island Oceanography School, and he gave me a plot of what we we're going to do. So I had a, a course that we were going to follow. And I had a couple of people on boats that were going to do, support me, protect me. And then a week before we were going to go, Hurricane Leslie was forming in the South Atlantic. And it, um, and so I'm, there, are, there are wave markers all along the Atlantic seaboard. And so I'm looking at the wave markers outside of Block Island. And normally they might be uh, just on a calmest of days a foot or two feet of wave. And then it started to grow. Sunday it was three. Monday it was six. Tuesday it was nine. And Wednesday it was 12 feet. The, the waves were 12 feet. And the storm was still coming. And so I called this, uh, my coach, uh, person I, a coach is a hard way to say it. He's a person who would knock on my door at five every morning, just... Let's go. <laughs> and okay. just just to walk me out the door. Oh, sorry, Fuji. Oh, Fuji. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Shh. Easy, buddy. That's okay. It's all right, Fuji. And so <laughs> I know the sound editing. <laughs> oh, I keep Fuji and, in. And so he, and just to get me out into the water every day. So I call him up and I said, Sever. I said, we've got a problem. Now, Sever is a uh, monosyllabic speaker. Yeah. And so I said, do you see the storm Salt coming? of the earth. Yep. I said, I'm getting really concerned. Why? I said, why? The, the waves are at 12 feet. 
maybe I should consider swimming this freestyle or put a wetsuit on. And he goes, nah. <laughs> like, what? you know, of course I do. She goes, what's the worst that's going to happen? You drown? And I said, yeah, I might drown. She says, well, don't worry about it. We'll serve good scotch at the memorial service. He said, listen, you made a commitment to the spinal community. You have hundreds of people getting on a ferry to come watch you do this swim. All the people you've raised money and communicated to, but most importantly, you made a commitment to me. And I said, you're getting in that water. And so I was nervous, to say the least. Yeah, and this is where this is where 99% of people walk away. I because would. this is when you're like, oh shit. It was. I gotta show up for this show, and it is tenfold what I thought it was gonna it, be. Right. And in this, in case it was just me. I get to point to it. There's a hundred people there. Now I think I think they were there to see what type of scotch was gonna be served. <laughs> because <laughs> the surf was abominable. It was, it was insane. It was insane. And I've always heard that resiliency is a reflex. Resiliency, we don't, we don't go to work and say, I'm going to answer some emails today, and I'm going to plot some charts, and I'm going to be resilient. It, it doesn't work that way. It, resiliency is thrust upon you. And I was nervous, scared, and then I saw Davis Strada from Rise on his wheelchair on the grass, and, and I said, that's who I need to be resilient for. Because resiliency is, is never about just you. It's about being resilient for somebody else. And I find that's a better way to live your life. If you're resilient, you do things because how it's positively going to affect somebody. And so took my shot. My kayak and I went in the water, and we instantly got separated. And this is the story I hear later, that the boats that, we, that were there for me call in, where's Trent? We can't find him. We can't see him. And so my whole family and friends are on the shore. Now, they can see me for a while, but then the surf gets high enough that they can't. So they can't see me, and the boats don't see me. And the, they, then they yell, we found the kayaker. I went for 45 minutes. And, and I'm scared because I have no idea where people are. And hoping I'm just fixing on where the sun is as a triangulation to the direction I have to go. So you're, you're, you've been given an opportunity to basically relive your worst yes. nightmare. Yes, horribly, horribly. There's one other item that we missed. Two days before the swim, I get a text from the oceanographer. And the subject of the text line is, I fucked up. And I look at the subject line at work, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, <laughs> what, what more is there? Because I'm already thinking about the scotch they're going to be serving. And he writes to me, he says, Trent, we made a mistake. <clears throat> we miscalculated <clears throat> We miscalculated the tide. You're not going to make the course. The, the water is going to be moving at you faster than you can swim. And so we had to make another change. He says, why don't you leave six hours later? Can't. We've got all these people here. So we made the night before change course. And so I had to keep that in my mind of changing the triangulation points in my head. Um, but you're relying pretty heavily 
on your crew to make sure that you're going in the right direction. Uh, like exactly you know, right. you know the outline. They have the mar- they have the GPS marker for when we need to move at what time we have to be and what time where we have to move to to adjust for the, the the changing tide, because it's not a tide that comes straight at you or straight away from you. It's a tide that comes and turns and very most like a parabola around the island. So you can be on one side of the island and the tide can quickly sweep you to the other side and you miss. Instead of reaching Block Island, you reach Long Island. We get to the edge of the shore and we're almost there. We only make the North Lighthouse, which is the the last point by about 150 yards. And I flip over, getting ready to get out. And the tide is so strong, it's pulling us towards this North Lighthouse. And it's big rocks on the bottoms and big, I mean like baseball size rocks. And so I reach down, I grab the rocks to stop myself from getting pulled. And Sever, who decided to come in and swim the last section with me, grabs me and and steadies me. And somebody took this great picture of me in the water. You know, look like I'm being pulled and Sever steadying me. And I said, what this is the most amazing picture of, you know, teamwork, of of one person helping another. And there's a secret about that picture um, that uh, I don't talk about too often. But in English Channel swimming, you're, you're allowed uh, a cap, you're allowed goggles, you're allowed bathing suit, uh, just a short one, grease or something like that. You can't touch the boat and nobody can touch you until you're two feet out of the water. And so for as good as this swim was, that moment he grabbed me means the swim didn't officially count as a recognized swim. And again, when I saw the picture, I realized it, and I accepted it pretty quickly. I said, I would much rather have my friend holding me in that picture than whatever it means to be the only person to successfully swim backstroke to because it's not recorded that way. Yeah, and when I when I look at the the overarching motivator that got you moving that day, it was you being in service of a greater good. Yes. And in that moment, Mike being in service of a greater good. Sure. What a great that's a good way to put it. Absolutely. Yes. And I believe that when our life gets put into perspective, whether that's through a life-changing event or for those of us that, that don't have to have that, like just through this pull to realize how precious this life is, we start to move through the world with the greater good as our motivator. Mm-hmm. How can I serve the world today? Sure. And that might just be not indulging in negative thoughts. Mm -hmm. That could be your first step. That could be backstroke the English Channel. That could be raising money. It could be stopping and hugging your spouse. It could be whatever. It's what are we putting into the world? And in that moment, he put care. He put determination. He put service into the world. And those are the energies that we want to marinate this globe in. Damn, you're good. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Can we can we talk about you swimming with me? Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> oh my god, 
And you're so kind. <laughs> that was really, really kind how you just put that, swimming with you. So t- you and I were on a radio show. Gosh, I guess this was about, this was 2015, because that's when right. we did back. So the Block Island Swim was uh, back to block. Back to block in 2012. In 2012. And then 2015, because yes. this was right before I had the epiphany that we were moving. And 2015 was back to Newport. It was, yeah. So to give people an understanding that don't understand Newport, Newport is where BJ and I used to live. And it is um, one of three towns on an island called Aquidneck Island. And back to Newport was the event that you were now going to raise money for Rise and you were going to swim, you were going to circumnavigate the island 40 plus miles. Correct. So you and I are on a radio show together with the, um, the lovely, lovely Gala Lofsen, who is actually going to be in San Diego and we're going to get her on the podcast. All right. Wonderful. Oh, she's amazing. Oh, so we're there and you're talking about this event. And you're t- and we're laughing because we're talking about how there's been shark sightings and things like that. And you're talking, and I don't know if I still to this day don't know if this is a lie or not. But you're talking about these nets. They exist. They do exist. Yes. Yeah, these nets that keep the sharks away from like the bays where the beaches are, and that you're going to be swimming on the other side of the nets. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh shit, I'm going to do this with him. Like I'm going to get in that water. I want. How can I serve? In that moment, I'm thinking, how can I serve this?" this greater good. Okay, I can make a donation, but I can also show up. And I and it scared the hell out of me. It scared the hell out of me. You know, at that point I had been, you know, an Ironman triathlete multi-time and, you know, you would think, yeah, well, she's not scared of anything. I was so frightened in that moment. And that was probably like, I don't know, maybe May or June. And the event was set for September. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So it's coming and you're raising the money and I'm, I'm telling BJ, I'm like, I committed on it. And he's like, it's okay. You don't have to do it. I'm like, no, I committed. I said I was going to do this. I'm showing right. up. Right. I'm showing up. So that morning, I show up to Fort Adams and I'm scared to death and I'm all by myself. I don't know where BJ was. He must have been on a, a long ride or something, right? The life of a triathlon <laughs> couple. And it's windy. But I mean, I remember that day. It was so crisp. You could see, I could see the points of the waves mm-hmm. and the reflection. The, the, the bay was navy blue. The sky was, you know, bluebird. A great fall day. It, w- it was quintessential yes. New England. Yeah. And you're there, you know, and there's people there. And Con was there mm-hmm. and myself and Paul Dow. Right. I'm thinking, I am, you know, got all these thoughts of, there's no way. Trent's going to swim 40 plus miles today. There's no way I can swim. And I'm like, not indulging in those thoughts. And I remember even being in my wetsuit doing a headstand. Just being in a headstand (laughs) to channel in like, this is when Yogi Triathlete was really like in its infancy. But channeling in that, that, that science of the mind, that yoga, and just emerging those two worlds together of like, I can do this. I'm not my body, right? So and I don't want to take away from your experience that day, but we hopped in the water uh, on the... Jumped right into the uh, East Passage. Yeah, the East Passage of Narragansett Bay. Narragansett Bay. And swam around Castle Hill. But we got in and you and Con were gone. You guys were off. And I'm thinking, I can hold like a 120 pace at that point. You were like at a one minute pace, you know, per 100. 
And I had this moment where I realized, so it's choppy, and I haven't swam like in rough water like this, but I'm, I'm willing to get to the other side of whatever this fear is, because I know that that's where my freedom lies. And I quickly realize that the boats are concerned with you, <laughs> not with me. <laughs> and Paul Dow is just in front of me, not too far, but then he kind of starts, all of a sudden I look and he's next to me. And my world just shifted. I was like, all right, Paul and I are in this together. Right. Like, let's just swim together. And I could see you guys up ahead. And then a kayaker came back and was like, all right, you know, we got you guys in our view and everything like that. And we swam, you know, pretty much as far as we how, could. How are the views from the, the water on that it side? It was magnificent. Very few people get to swim. That I mean, there was, there was there. tears in my eyes because here I am swimming and I'm looking at the – you know, the lawn of Castle Hill, which is stunning, anybody stunning. who, yeah, it's just stunning. It's so breathtaking. And I'm in the water experiencing what very few people will ever experience. And so I don't know how far I got th that day, maybe a mile, mile and a half. I thought it was more like 30. Yeah, it was, it was about 30 <laughs> miles. Thank you, Trent. And it was, it was spectacular. So I owe you a big thank you because that was an experience that, um, one that I look back on and I think, yeah, I can swim in this water. Wow. I can swim in this chop. I can do this. Because that was deep. You know, we, we got Yeah, it's huge. It's yeah. so deep. It was as black as you could ever imagine mm -hmm. looking down. But that experience was just, it was simply amazing. Mm -hmm. So thank God you had other people besides me <laughs> and Paul that day that jumped in and helped you swim. But what time did we start? Around 7? Se 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Right, just after 7, yeah. And how was that day as far as like chop and your you, planning versus experience? Before I get there, I have you memorialized in you something. Do? Well, somebody <gasps> did for me. I'm, Trent. I'm, I'm just going to permit you to say Love this. Memorialized. Nice. Back to Newport to swim around Aquidneck Island. What did it take? All right, I'm reading, reading this from this. This board that Trent has. Why don't you read that? What did it take it for took, you to go around? It took uh, 11 boats, 10 kayakers, and here's where Jess comes in, 22 angel swimmers. Oh, You're an angel swimmer. Thank you. <laughs> I almost became an angel. <laughs> um, 12 menu items. So the, on my feeding uh, list was eggs, potatoes, raisinets, fruit snacks, grapes, peanut butter sandwiches, avocado sandwiches, which don't work too well in the water. Oh, there's a lot of fat in well, avocado. Well, you want the fat, get, but I want the fat, but it's hard. It, it broke apart. Yeah, the avocados slip out. Yeah. They're slippery suckers. Uh, honey roasted peanuts, cashews, raspberries, power bar, Gatorade, water, beer. I went through 30, 32 ounces of scope. There were four bridges that I passed under. The water temperature was 66. Um, the temp air temperature got down to 48. There were two pods of baby jellyfish that we had to go through. There was a barge. One of us had to give, me or the barge. I let the barge go. Yeah, I, a good idea. I swam around. Based on past experience. Yeah, right. I let the, yeah. I burned <laughs> through about 10,000 calories um, that day. And what time? You started at 7.05? 7.05 and we finished at 11.25. And how many miles did you swim? 41.5 miles. And how many times did you touch the boat? Z zero. And what, legitimate. What was the one thing you had on your face? At I the end? had a huge smile. We got to the dock at the end in, in Bowen's Wharf. 
at the, at the finish, we, we just swam under the Goat Island Bridge. And I can't, I don't know if anybody ever has done this before, swim under that bridge. But so I swim under it and it's 1130 at night and I'm with my kayaker, I'm with an angel swimmer. And I said, let's just stop here. We can see the dock. We can see the people amassing there. People had come out of the bars because we had radio contact. They knew who we were. And <laughs> just imagine it. The Newporters. It's oh, almost midnight. It's almost midnight. There's a guy There's swimming. There's a guy swimming. That's right. That's, so the bars, I mean, so this dock is. And um, uh, so we're looking at the beautiful lights of this, one of America's first towns, and thinking just how gorgeous it is. We swim the last few hundred yards in, get to the dock, and I just rip myself up onto the deck. And somebody says, Trent, how are you feeling? I said, thirsty. Let's go get a beer. We, and we went and closed the bar. It was all up there. We closed the bar at two. I was just feeling revved up, ready for more. It was, that was an amazing day. It was very, very exciting for, you know, and the island is small, right? Everybody pretty much knows everybody. So word yes. got around pretty quick with what you were doing. And, and I remember they, they went live, I think Facebook, I guess, or they posted a video of mm. you coming out of the water and just the celebration down there in the pitch dark. You're right. swimming in the pitch dark because you get in at 11, just under 1130, You've been swimming in the dark for quite some time. Right. Sunset was um, sunset was 6.45. Right. And uh, what was fortunate for us that night is we had a super moon. That's it was amazing. full moon and clear. And so we had this on every time my left hand breathing side. We were able to see that the whole – what a guiding – beautiful guiding light that was um, versus having no – That same no moon that was out that night That's exactly the way I thought about it. It's the same way I thought about it. And the folks from Rise Above Paralysis had come down. So there were a few of them on the wheelchairs, on the docks, waiting for us. Um, it was very touching to, to do that again. And the reason I went to do, do the Back to Newport was just the, the positive response that I had from my community for doing Back to Block that I felt I had – I could do more. And we raised another $50,000 and a couple of vehicles for people with um, uh, disabilities. So they're, they're adaptable vehicles. And it, was, it worked out wonderfully. The lives that you have touched because, because yours changed forever in an instant is, yeah. I think that is the summation of the, the beauty of this plan of life that we're not always privy to. I, I, I did this, I do these items because I got out of the wheelchair and I do it for the people that can't or won't get out of the wheelchair. And that's why I went and did back to Britain as well to, to raise funds, to raise awareness. But I have to say now that was my last, I can't take the, the pressures of, of being in that spotlight or being in that raising the money or asking and take its toll. So, um, for Do you feel like you've come to completion with it? I think I have. I think I've, I've done, I've, I've raised almost $150,000. That foundation will last for, for more than 10 years. Because of the money you've raised. Right. Where people put, <sighs> gr amazing. put grants in for $2,500, up to $2,500 for a different mattress. We gave a mattress away. We give handrails. We give adaptive toilets. 
adaptive showers, things that are not covered by medical insurance. And so I think I've, I think I've helped, I know I've helped quite a number of people. Um, and I say I, but it's really the people that have supported me, that that's their money. Um, I just helped funnel it and channel it to these folks that I, in my mind, really need a break. So it's completion of that piece, but your work still continues because of the time that you've shared with me and the thousand or so people that are going to be touched by this conversation oh, well, that'd be, that's, around the world. That's absolutely wonderful. I am. Um, and the speaking that you do. Like, I do. I do that. And I, I am. I'm um, w- working towards completion of my second book. Um, my first book was uh, Filet to Finish. Perfect. <laughs> Love it. An awkward journey to, the what Iron. was it? An, uh, an awkward journey. Journey to the Iron Man. <laughs> and um, so, so that one, that one uh, went at a great response uh, to it. But this one, uh, its title is Moving Rocks. And, uh, and it's about uh, overcoming obstacles. And I do it in a business setting. One of my, one of my uh, professions is uh, as a graduate teacher of business strategy. And so I put it into a business perspective. And uh, so I'm writing this now as a, just another way to help people identify ways to overcome. You know, one of the when I started running, one of the mantras I used to have was that mountains are only majestic from a distance. When you and you would know this being out west more. When I drove out west, I was driving to the Hoover Dam. And, and I'm, we're looking at this mountain, and uh, I'd asked Jill next to me, I said, how far do you think that is? And she said, 20 miles. And I said, I think that's 50 miles. And it was 80 miles. And it's the same thing when you're going biking. The mountain far away looks huge, which is why a lot of us don't try to go up the mountain. But when you get to the mountain, all of a sudden it's very manageable. Take it in chunks, and it's manageable. And it's only our minds that stop us from and make that mountain too majestic. So that's kind of the theme that I'm trying to write towards now. I love it. It's so. I think that's a perfect place to end. And I think that what you are in store for is just a lot of uh, more beginnings and a more uh, and exciting pathways and just this keeping in reverence this mindset of allowing and not hanging on. You've done your work and who knows, maybe you'll be back to fundraising, but right now you take a break and you allow. You allow something else to come in and you allow, your story is gonna continue to to touch people's lives. And that's what it's all about, right? Like how many, how many people will this story reach? that will maybe allow somebody to just take that first step towards the mountain and the second step. Because that, when we break it down, the biggest things in our lives are all about taking that next step. True. You make me feel so strong when I talk to you. You are so strong. (laughs) All right. My husband's not here for this interview. Clearly. Clearly. Because number five is right upstairs. (laughs) Crazy story, right? 
So glad you guys tuned in. Thank you so much for your support. We are currently challenging all of our Patreon members to double their support from now until January. And we are so grateful to everyone who has stepped up and let us know that the show must continue. I just put an exclusive recipe up there today for our $10 or more supporters. So head over to patreon.com forward slash yogi triathlete to check it out and or to set up your pledge today. Be sure to check out the show notes at yogitriathlete.com for how to connect with Trent, buy his book, and how to immerse yourself deeper into a life, the life that you are always meant to live. And that includes our three-day, two-night high-vibe retreats. These are the ultimate awake and ready intensives. And with the off-season en route, it is the perfect time to get your HVR booked. This is not something that you are going to regret, especially when you are basking in the warmth of Southern California when your local weathermen is talking about wind chill factors and deep freezes. All right, one more thing, you guys. If you follow our social feeds, then you know that our official office space has become steady state roasting here in Carlsbad. It's truly the best coffee we've ever had. And although I can't get you any of the fresh vegan donuts and cinnamon buns, I am psyched to say that you can buy their coffee online at Amazon. They are not paying us a dime to advertise this. They did not ask us to advertise this. We just love these guys and their coffee is amazing. So go to the blog post for this episode at yogitriathlete.com and then you can click on that link to get yourself some of their Space Traveler Signature Blend. All right, you guys, that's it for this week. We've got some incredible peeps in the queue and you'll be hearing those week after week because we are going to continue to show up. We are truly grateful for your support. And until next week, keep living the awake and ready life. Deepen your relationship with the very instant of life you are living because as we were reminded in this episode today, it can all change in an instant. Be grateful for your amazing body, no matter how many limbs you have, no matter how fast your paces are, no matter how your skinny jeans feel, no matter what's going on in that mind of yours, take a breath get in touch with the very moment of this precious life that you are living and know that this very moment is the only place where your full potential lies.